Well, good morning. There was an article on NPR, uh, National Public Radio's website a while back, where they listed um, some half-truths, some commonly uh, believed half-truths that are actually um, that are actually accepted as facts. So, for instance, they said various news organizations have reported that Subway's $5 foot long is actually 11 inches long, okay? Uh, sorry to shatter your illusion, but uh, they say that uh, Subway's response is, is that when they bake their bread, it actually shrinks a little bit. Other half-truths are peanuts are not really nuts. They're actually legumes. A koala bear is not actually a bear. It's a marsupial, you know, like a, a possum or a kangaroo. A palm tree is not a tree. I didn't know this. Palm trees belong to the monocot flower, a family of flowering plants, which also includes grasses and grains. Uh, and swollen glands are not actually glands. Uh, doctors know this, but they are a series of lymph nodes, not swollen glands. And this was one. Pink is not exactly a color, they said. Some of you guys are saying, yes, I knew that. Pink is not exactly a color. Phys- physicists claim that pink should be called minus green <laughs> be- because pink is just the leftovers of white light when you take out the green. There's a harmless list, but the, the point is, is that we live in a world of, of half truths of, of, of white lies. Uh, for example, uh, in the social media world, catfishing, uh, where a person sets up a, a fake account on social media and they, they entrap somebody or lure somebody into a romantic relationship with somebody they think is a real person, but they're actually not. Or, or fake news. How do we know what's real? How do we know what's true in a world where there's so much that's being portrayed as truth that actually is not. What is truth? Pontius Pilate famously asked this a couple thousand years ago when Jesus was standing before him uh, at his trial a couple hours before his crucifixion. What is truth? As parents, we want to know the truth, right? We want our kids to tell us the truth. And as kids, we want our parents to tell us the truth as well. When you're in a courtroom and you're a witness, they ask you to put your hand on the Bible and do what? I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. On a test at school, if you've given a, a true-false exam, you really want to know what's true and what is not. At some point, and in so many situations in life, we ask the question, what is real? What is truth? But as Jack Nicholson's character shouted in the movie A Few Good Men, there are times when we can't handle the truth. For example, when we're in denial about a bad relationship, when we're unwilling to admit an addiction or personal struggle, when we won't see a character flaw in ourselves, when a long-held belief or opinion is, is presented with, is challenged with seemingly undeniable evidence, we don't want to know the truth. We can't handle the truth. But Jesus said this in John 8, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as much as we at times don't want to hear the truth, according to Jesus, when we know the truth, Truth will set us free. But what is truth? How do we know what's true and what's false in this world? This morning we're continuing our sermon series as we journey through uh, John's first letter to the church at Ephesus. And today we come to a passage that was read by Dominic about truth, or more specifically about discerning truth. What's true, what's false. Now it might be helpful for us to think of First John as, as a letter of contrast. Okay, so remember back in the beginning of the letter, 1 John chapter 1, John tells us that God is light. 
And then John contrasts that to the darkness of the world and says, as Christians, we are not to walk in the darkness, but we are to walk in the light as God is in the light. And then John, throughout his book, talks about love. And he says, God is love. And then he contrasts that to the hatred in the world around us. We see it all over, violence and vandalism and terrorism. And John says that God is love, and he contrasts that to the hatred in the world, and he urges us as Christians to love as God has loved us and to pour out our lives for others and to express that love, not only with words, but also in actions. And then here in the first six verses of chapter 4, John again draws a contrast, this time between truth and falsehood, most specifically a contrast between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. Listen to verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, what's he talking about? Test the spirits. Do not believe every spirit, small s. Well, there's a German word, zeitgeist, that means spirit of the age. Maybe you've seen it. And the idea is that in every generation, in every culture, there are certain worldviews and philosophies and ideas, tendencies, that permeate that culture and people and influence them. So, for example, an easy decade to talk about it is the 1960s. You know, it's a generation and, and a decade known as a decade of great turmoil and social unrest and, and change. And the spirit of the age, some of the things would have been question authority, don't trust the government. Don't trust anybody above 30 years old. Other ideas, the sexual revolution came out of this, the idea that you could do whatever you wanted, with whomever you wanted, wherever you wanted. Uh, the whole idea of free love. There was broad experimentation with drugs and altered reality and, and rejection of the previous generation's values and priorities. In every generation, there is a spirit of the age. Ideas and philosophies that impact us especially young when we're young, and shape our worldview and actions, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. And as Christians, it's important for us to be able to discern and determine what's true, what's false, what's from God, what isn't. In his book, Bad Religion, the author, Ross Doffett, examines the core beliefs of America's wave of spiritual but not religious teachers. People like Deepak Chopra, Chopra, James Redfield, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, Oprah Winfrey, Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And he claims that they have a creed which shares the following four beliefs. First, all organized religions offer only partial glimpses of God or light or being. And therefore, we are to seek to experience God through our feelings rather than reason. As Neil Donald Walsh writes in his book, Conversations with God, listen to your feelings, listen to your highest thought. Whenever, whenever any of these differ from what you've been told by your teachers or read in your books, forget the words. The second belief he would say comes out of this, this spiritual, not religious teachers would be that God is everywhere and within everything, especially within you. And so we are to encounter God by getting in touch with the divinity that resides within each one of us. The third uh, belief that comes out of their creed, he said, would be that sin and evil are largely illusions that will ultimately be reconciled rather than denied. That there is no hell save the one we make for ourselves on earth. 
That there is no final separation from the being that all our beings emanate from and rest within. And the fourth, he writes, is that perfect happiness is available right now. That heaven is on earth. That eternity can be entered at any moment by any person who understands how to let go, to let God, and let themselves be washed away in love. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author writes that there is nothing new under heaven and earth, that there's nothing new that's been written or spoken under heaven and earth. And, and it's true, really, when you look at history, different thoughts, philosophies, ideas, worldviews, just repackaged, represented. And it was the same in John's day. I mean, think about it. He's writing to a church in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire engulfs most of uh, Western Europe and Northern Africa and the Middle East. Uh, they had conquered and engulfed many nations and cultures, and there would have been a lot of worldviews and belief systems vying for acceptance. And it was into this context that the early church began to assert and articulate the Christian worldview, what they believed, why they believed it, what they practiced, and at the center of it all was the person of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just the spirit of the age that a Christian had to be aware of, be wary of back then, because apparently there were these false prophets, false teachers whose teaching was not in keeping with the, the words and the life of Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, that's why John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I mean, let's, let's follow John's thought in verse 2. He writes, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So apparently, these teachers were denying that Jesus was God in the flesh as he claimed to be. And there was a certain brand of teaching that had argued that Jesus was really just a good man, a very good man, who at the time of his baptism became inhabited by the Spirit of God, but that God's Spirit left him before the crucifixion. The reason they, they, they were teaching this is because they believed that for God to connect himself with the material world, to identify with us through pain and suffering, would somehow diminish his nature that was beneath him in his dignity and his station. And so John says that one of the tests of right thinking regarding Jesus is whether or not somebody acknowledges that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, which we call the Incarnation. And so over the years, not just in John's day, there have been some who emphasize Jesus' divinity at the expense of his humanity or his humanity at the expense of his divinity. Remember how the Gospel of John begins? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. You see his divinity. You see his humanity. Now, why is that truth so important? If Jesus was not fully God, then he was not who he said he was. And how can we trust him to reconcile us to God? How can we trust that we can know God? If Jesus was not fully God, much of what we know and believe about God is called into question, and his teachings lose authority. On the other hand, if Jesus was not fully human, then how could he take our place on the cross? If he was not fully human, then he could not identify with us, couldn't really understand our, our hurts and our pains and our temptations. 
only if Jesus was both fully God and fully human can we have confidence regarding his sacrifice for our sins. Only if he was both fully human and fully God can we trust that he, he rose from the dead, that he's our bridge from this life to the next, to God. And so any worldview, any philosophy, any teaching that does not acknowledge this, that denies this, any spirit of the age that promotes something as truth that is contrary to the teachings of Christ, John calls such teaching the spirit of the Antichrist. So regarding worldviews or ideas or philosophies, how can we know what is true and what is false beyond this primary test? For a little help, let's take a look at another one of John's letters. Second John. Begin with verse 4. John writes, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. We can learn the truth by following the truth. Capital T. You know, one of the ways uh, that I, I, I learned about what to do in ministry was when I was a young youth pastor, mid-twenties in Indiana. Um, I, uh, I was green, but I knew enough to know that I needed to learn. But I didn't have it all figured out. And so I was really blessed because I was partnered with a, a great senior pastor, John Martz. And I, I really tried to align myself with him as closely as I could to kind of follow him around to learn. I asked him to mentor me. And so we would meet weekly to talk about ministry and about life and about theology and kind of questions that I might have. And he helped kind of guide me as my relationship with Nancy, who became my wife, was growing. And, and I learned to begin what true, I learned to, what true ministry was. What it, was, what it looked like, what it was about it by following him. That's precisely how John knew the truth. For three years, we know he followed Jesus. Jesus healing a blind man at the pool in Bethesda. John was there. The feeding of the 5,000 with, with some loaves and a, a few fish. John was there too. Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee during a storm. John was in the boat. The Sermon on the Mount, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus treating uh, Samaritans with grace and love and respect. The Last Supper, Jesus or John was at all of these, learning the truth about human sin, about God's love, the truth about who Jesus was, the truth about forgiveness and grace, and so much more. He learned the truth by following the truth, capital T. And of course, the lesson by example was complete when he followed Jesus to the cross and then to the empty tomb. And he dedicated the rest of his life to teaching others about the truth. You know, sometimes we might feel we're distant from God. And there can be a variety of reasons from feeling a distance from God. Sometimes we're going through something tough. We have questions. But sometimes, sometimes we feel distant from God because we've stopped following. The Christian faith is called a walk for a reason. It's to be dynamic. It's to be a relationship. It's not just mental assent. It's following the truth, capital T. I mean, in the scriptures, Jesus doesn't stand still. He moves around. The disciples follow him. They learn. That's how we are to learn the truth as well. By being in his word, by communicating with him through prayer, through worship, through service, through involvement. In his church, in his world, John urges us, walk in the truth. Another verse from Second John is verses 5 and 6. 
where he writes, And now, dear lady, dear lady, he's talking about the church, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So we can grow and and know the truth by living out the truth. Because what we say is important. What we believe is important. What we do is even more important. If we speak the truth but don't live it out, if we know the truth but don't live it out, our witness is weakened. And the truth is clouded by our inconsistencies. And if we don't live the truth when people look for truth in the church and in our lives, the danger is they may never see past us and find the truth in Jesus Christ. At the Last Supper in John 13, Jesus told the disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. So if we want to know the truth, we must live it out by loving others the way that Jesus first loved us. By putting aside our agendas, our fears, our prejudices, our stereotypes, and picking up the cross of Christ and putting others before ourselves and living out the truth. And then we find in 2 John verse 7 a similar theme to where we began. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. How does this fit into his themes of truth and love? How do we know what's real and what's not? Charlie Chaplin, many of you might know, was a famous silent uh, film movie star back in the 1920s, way before my time. And maybe you've seen pictures of him. He had the, the little hat and the cane, the little mustache, and he kind of waddled back and forth. And he was a, a great actor in mime. And uh, one of the byproducts of his popularity were there were a lot of look-alike contests that popped up all over the country, in fact, even across the world. And people would try to imitate him and dress like his character, the tramp that he'd made so popular. And apparently Bob Hope, when he was a young actor, entered a contest in Ohio and won. And legends have sprung up that Chaplin himself took part in one contest. Steve Chandler writes in his book, 100 Ways to Motivate Yourself, says Chaplin was on a holiday in Monaco and decided to enter a Chaplin look-alike contest. Others say it happened in Switzerland. But it did happen. It happened in San Francisco. He entered a look-alike contest, and amazingly, Chaplin failed to even make the finals. Some people were fooled and missed the real deal. Sometimes people do not recognize the truth about God, even when it's staring them right in the face. How can we know what's true and what is false? We must know what the truth is so well, what it looks like, what it means, what it looks like when it's lived out. We need to know it so well that we will recognize it, even when there are strong, appealing lookalikes in the world. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We can know the truth by knowing Jesus Christ personally. I mean, it's important to have good doctrine, good theology. 
But we must know Him personally. We must walk with Him. We must live for Him and with Him the truth. Because we cannot be a Christian if we do not know Jesus. And we can't know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth if we do not know Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is that each one of us falls short of God's standard. That each one of us needs forgiveness. That each one of us, at different times and different ways, breaks God's law. And we're all guilty, and we're all deserving of the consequences of our actions. And it doesn't make any difference about all the times we didn't break the law. That doesn't help us when we do sin. You know, this month, it's been 40 years since I got my learner's permit. I've been driving for 40 years, which you do the math, I'm 54. And I've driven hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles, millions of miles, I'm sure. And I think I'm a pretty decent driver. My, My kids and wife may disagree at times. But over those 40 years, I've got three tickets. I remember them all very well. The first one, I was in college, and uh, we were down uh, just after finals at Grand Lake, water skiing and fishing, hanging out with the guys, on our way back, driving through southeastern Kansas, taking turns. It's my turn to drive. I'm not paying attention. I pop over a hill, red lights, 65 and a 55. <sighs> Cost me 10 bucks. <laughs> the second time was, was 20 years ago. And my wife and I were in grad school in Chicago, and um, we were headed north to Minnesota, rural Minnesota, to visit my wife's family over Christmas break. And we left a little little late in the day. We had classes and work and this and that and um, long drive. And it's about 11 o'clock at night. We're 30 minutes. Why does it always always happen when you're almost home? 30 minutes from home, from her house, her mom's house and dad's house, going through a little town of about 400 people, no stoplights, no stop signs, and no cars that I could see. And uh, you know how they have a sign at the edge of town it says 55 or whatever, 50. I started to accelerate, you know, you know, about 50 yards away. Okay, there's nobody here. Boom, red lights. I remember the cop's name, Ernest Junker. I, I kid you not, Ernest Junker. A nice man did not give me a break. This time it was 50 and a 35, okay? So it was going up, 50 bucks. The last one was four or five years ago, living here in Salina. And I was on my way uh, off uh, east on uh, Country Club Road, you know, between the, the elevators and the railroad tracks and Simpson Road. And you're not really paying attention. I'm just kind of driving, and all of a sudden, red lights, oh, no, 50 and a 40. He did not have mercy on me. And you kind of try to rationalize. There's nobody around. I wasn't in danger of anybody. I was between the lines, you know. I wasn't going to hurt anybody. But the truth is, is over the 40 years, there are many times I've deserved a ticket, Right? Times when I've been a little bit over the speed limit, either intentionally or not. Or times when uh, I ran through a yellow slash pink light. You ever do that? You know, or you pull out in front of somebody you didn't see, or you do a farmer's stop. You come to, you know, the stop sign. You kind of look both ways and roll through real slowly. There have been many times I deserved a ticket and did not get one. And the truth is, is that the only way we can be forgiven is through faith in Christ. There are many times in our lives when we deserve consequences, and God graciously doesn't give us consequences. And the truth is, is that Jesus is present through his spirit to offer his love and his grace and his mercy. Mercy, But it begins with acknowledging what is true. We need forgiveness. He died for our sins. 
He's the Son of God. Fully human, fully divine. He's defeated Satan, sin, and death. Our grace and our forgiveness begins with that. Pilate began the conversation with Jesus saying, what is truth? And sadly, tragically, he didn't understand the answer was standing right in front of him. Because Jesus Christ is the truth. And we know the truth by following him, by living for him, and by living with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we, we assert and we believe that your word is truth. We believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, came fully human, fully God, and he is the way, the life, and the truth. Lord, help us to be discerning, to sort through worldviews and belief systems that are not of you. Help us, Lord, to follow the truth, not just have it in our head, but to actively live out truth in our actions and our priorities, our words, our values. Lord, help us to grow in the truth and help us to point others to the truth because as people find the truth in you, they find life and they find hope and they find peace and joy. They find eternal life. So Lord, we know it's very important that we be people of the truth. May it be so. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.